Heavenly Father, fill me with the power of your Holy Spirit, that the words of my mouth may not be the ramblings of a mortal man, but may carry a ring of eternity, and be in the minds and the hearts of the congregation as they meditate upon your word. In Christ's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. As Americans, we are a very unique people. Most of us do not have uh, roots that go back to what we would call a Native American, and even Native Americans immigrated from somewhere else across a land bridge, across an ocean. Humanity did not originate on the two continents that we call the Americas. And as we consider ourselves citizens of the country of the United States of America, we are even more unique of a people. We come from all kinds of backgrounds and creeds and experiences and other places. We are truly unique, unique amongst the world. Now, so much it is echoed in the way that we have even constructed our capital city. As far as I can tell, uh, across the globe, there are no other modern capital cities except for Washington, D.C. that are constructed like the ancient modern capitals used to be constructed. There would be a, a central gathering area, and then the, the ancient capitals would have monuments, usually to the gods or um, godlike leaders that they would scatter around the place. And our capital was somewhat designed to be like that as well, except not as monuments uh, uh, to a false god or, or some deity that, that was worshipped. Instead, it was a place to memorialize who we would be and who we would become as a nation. So the central gathering area of a, of a large lawn called a mall with, um, with monuments scattered around that mall and museums and houses of government recognizing the accomplishments of this great nation. I love Washington, D.C. I've probably been there 15 times over my life. Not quite sure of the exact number because sometimes I was very small when I went. But to me, it was always like a pilgrimage experience. It was a place to go and to learn and see. Uh, the experience of placing your hand on the walls that represent the dead uh, who died in Vietnam or to stand at the pool and the monument for World War II and the haunting eyes uh, of the statues in the Korean Memorial and to stand at, at the monument of Lincoln where on uh, the sculpture put on one side of his face a, a clenched uh, expression and a clenched fist representing the war he had to engage in on the other side, a passive man hoping for peace. The obelisk of Washington and then staring down at the other end at the Capitol where the sausage factory is, you know, making laws on sausage, all about that metaphor. 
It is a place where we get to stand on hallowed ground in the sense of what we think about our government and our nation as we reflect on Jefferson and then look across the Potomac at Arlington Cemetery, uh, meant to be a reminder of how awful Civil War is. Washington, D.C. I've been able to spend the 4th of July twice in D.C. It's an incredible experience. Uh, one year I was there for what was called um, uh, their, their giant folk festival where they, the Smithsonian takes over the entire lawn of the mall and brings in different exhibits from around the country and around the world. And, and they literally fill up the entire mall with tents, with music, with food, with dancing, and um, other exhibits. The year that I got to go <coughs> to that, there was a, the exhibit was Studying Appalachian Life. And then it had a little exhibit over here about Cambodians, which I thought was kind of an interesting uh, juxtaposition. But really diving in deep into the roots of the Appalachian people. I like to refer myself as an Appalachian American. <laughs> it, the uniqueness of it, and, and to, to experience that great uh, gathering of American culture. But perhaps the most poignant memories I have of the Fourth Embassy came when I was a young man. I went to Reinhardt College, one of our great Methodist institutions here in the state of Georgia, and I was a member of the concert choir. And if you want to see the country, and sometimes the world, one of the best ways to do it if you don't have any money and you're in college is join the choir. Choirs go everywhere. The ensembles travel everywhere, and other people pay for it. It's a wonderful thing. So this particular year, Reinhardt got invited to sing for the 500th anniversary of Columbus's discovery of America. 1492, Columbus saw sailed the ocean blue, so you can figure it was 1992 when this has happened, which is starting to be a long time ago now. The experiences and the sights and the sounds are incredible. The celebration, the pomp and circumstance, the military band, uh, the, the cultural bands from around the world. And uh, one of the great experiences we had was that on the night of the 4th, uh, the Capitol lawn was filled up with all kinds of performers and the fireworks show. And I couldn't find a place to stand. My buddy and I, Jonathan Mooneyham, whose father's a Methodist minister in the area, um, we couldn't find a real good place to stand. So we had a Forrest Gump moment, and we actually watched the fireworks on the 4th of July from the middle of the reflecting pool. So we had it above us and below us with all that incredible music. It was phenomenal. You talk about the patriotic upswellings within you. And I mean, I'm as American as you can get. I've got a Revolutionary War grandfather buried in cemetery plot number one at Bethlehem United Methodist Church. I have a relative, a direct, I'm a direct descendant of someone who has fought in every major American war. And then I have those on the side of tragedy. I have relatives that were slave owners, and I've also had relatives that were um, members of the Tennessee Vedette, which meant that they were the Tennessee 
Union Calvary. I just recently discovered that there were whips on the Trail of Tears. I'm as American as you can get. I love my country. And moments like that almost seem like a religious experience. Maybe that's why they set up our capital in such a way. But that particular year, that particular year, they had special displays out at the National Archives. The Declaration of Independence and the Constitution had been in, uh, in the vaults for a while for restoration, and they had brought them out for display. The lines were long to see them. But as I stood over that protected glass at the age of 19, I read these words. They almost read like scripture to us. In Congress, July 4, 1776, the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America, when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Freedom changed its definition amongst the world on that day. A new experience, experiment in freedom was happening here on this continent by a unique group of people called Americans. And we have defined in our own minds and hopefully for the rest of the world um, what freedom means. We, we have a definite, definite definition of freedom. We look at our constitution for that definition. We look towards the Bill of Rights uh, and most often the one we hear about freedom of speech but there's some pretty other important ones in there too, like we're free not to have the government force soldiers to be quartered in our home. The government just can't come and search and seize your property. You have the right not to incriminate yourself. You are free from certain things because you live here in this nation, and it is something that we, when we look at our world that surrounds us, our direct environment, Sometimes we don't realize how good we got it. 
Nelson Mandela, a man who was unfortunately too well acquainted with imprisonment and the lack of freedom, said there is no easy walk to freedom anywhere. And many of us will have to pass through the valley of the shadow of death again and again before we meet, reach the mountaintop of our desire. That also seems very reflective of another famous freedom speech by Martin Luther King. I have seen the mountaintop, his mountaintop speech. Who would have known that that was really to be prophetic for his freedom from the bounds of this earth? What type of freedoms are there? When we discuss freedom as Americans, we often only talk about freedom in the terms of rights. What are our rights that we have to remain free? I can say anything I want. We often, often forget the, uh, the converse of that is, you know, <laughs> you're free to say anything you want, but you also need to expect the consequences of that. So sometimes we take advantage of our freedoms and don't use them, them well. And we forget to look at other aspects of freedom. So what are some other aspects of freedom? There is physical freedom. The freedom to move from place to place. I've only been out of, out of what I would consider Americanized uh, nations once. Uh, I got to go to Canada once, but we've had pretty much free movement between Canada uh, since the French and Indian War. But the one time I did get to go to Europe, even though that they were now on in the Euro forming the European Union and they were on the Euro, there were still checkpoints. You couldn't go from Germany to Austria without showing your passport. You could not go from Germany to Czechoslovakia without showing your passport. And we're not talking about vast uh, areas of geography. You know, the other thing we we look at it, forget to realize as Americans, is that we have a huge nation. These countries are the size of states. They're not the size of Russia, China, Canada, or, or our nation. They're the size of states. We have the freedom to go through every single state boundary within our nation, which spans an entire continent. Physical freedom, the freedom to move from place to place. That also comes along the lines of we don't have to fear uh, political imprisonment. We have freedom to move in those arenas. Physical freedom. The ability to move around. One of my favorite all-time people, a man named Grover Collins, uh, a very special man. He was special forces in Vietnam. He, at that point, he was a relatively diminutive fella. Now he reminds me kind of of Uncle Fester. He's old and funny. But he always talks about the, the, the troubles he got himself into. He got three Purple Hearts in Vietnam. One, because he got shot in the foot with a crossbow. <laughs> but perhaps his most funny story about loss of physical freedom that he got was when he and his um, group of uh, special forces were at Fort Bragg, and they were out for a night on the town. And as it is with most 
smaller men. We, we have a tendency to be a little scrappier than the rest. And uh, there was a sign on this fair that said, come fight um, the chimpanzee. So this, this caller was out throwing uh, with his mic, shouting, come fight the chimpanzee, come fight the chimpanzee. And sure enough, there was a chimp in a cage with boxing gloves on. And Grover, who was known by the moniker Catfish to his other soldiers, said, well, I'll do it. I'll get in there and do that. And, and several hundred people had actually gathered around in this tent to watch this. And, and he got in there and with his boxing gloves on and ready for a chimpanzee. And the curtain raised up on the other side. And instead of a chimp, it was a gorilla. And he couldn't get out. He had found himself imprisoned with something very dangerous, the lack of physical freedom. He said he'd never been so scared in his life. Now, the gorilla had been somewhat drugged, and it also had padding on his hand, so it really couldn't do much damage to him. But when he had to explain to his commanding officer the next day where his bruises came from, he again lost some more physical freedom for his idiocy. Sometimes we don't realize how important our physical freedom is until we get it taken away. Then there is political freedom. We are so blessed in this nation to have political freedom. Even though with the advent of social media, it seems like uh, our political freedoms is just a constant bombardment uh, to tear people up and, 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 and get the country stirred up. But no, it's not. It's a great thing. We actually have the freedom to argue and disagree with each other. And as crazy it is, as it may sound and as maddening it is as it may be to get into various arguments with, with people whom you may or may not disagree with, it is a glorious thing to know that we are going to be imprisoned because of our political thoughts. Even people whom the rest of the world and most of Americans think are complete idiots still get their say on that playing field. Mark Twain didn't make this statement about it, though. He said, it is by the goodness of God that in our country we have three unspeakably precious things. We have the freedom of speech, we have the freedom of conscience, and the prudence never to practice either of them. <laughs> and then there's mental freedom. Mental freedom is another type of freedom. For that is so often where we can become bound up in ways that are more dangerous than political oppression, than uh, physical free, loss of physical freedom. It's when we become prisoners of our own minds. Some people get there by the uh, abuse of others, the constant damaging effects of, of hardship that, that someone in authority may place over someone and, and convince them that they're no good or, or that life may be too hard or, or that they're stupid or, or they don't have talents and, and they can be put inside a mental jail. 
Others are there because the brain might be broken. Others of us, we talk ourselves, ourselves into mental prisons. It's like Plato's analogy of the cave where um, people are strapped down and they can only see the back of the cave and the shadows that are behind them. They have no idea of all that is behind them that is going on in life, but they can only see shadow figures and they are mentally trapped by that small environment. And not until they get to see all the activity behind them do their minds get to grow. Mental freedom. We have that freedom also here in our nation, which is a great thing because we can go and learn anything we want to. So, yes, there are mental freedoms that are very hard to uh, change, that are very hard to break, like uh, being placed in the mental jails of abuse or other issues, but we can also experience mental freedom by the ability to go out and explore and learn and grow, whether it is philosophy, math, engineering, or our faith. But ultimately, out of all of those things that we look at freedoms and that we get to experience as freedoms, the freedom that we want to proclaimed the world goes beyond who we are as Americans. Of all the celebration that we are going to have this week, celebrating our freedom of, uh, of, of physical freedoms, our political freedoms, our, our mental freedoms, all of those things that we will celebrate this week, it is ultimately the spiritual freedom which we long for. And we want to communicate to others. One thing that gets most people in an uproar, especially Christians, is that most of our founding fathers were not Christians. Uh, they were agnostics or deists. Um, many of them filtered out and made their own Bible, uh, Thomas Jefferson being one of them, taking what he thought was, was possibly words of Christ versus other things, what he thought was useful, then whittled down the New Testament to a pamphlet about like that. Um, Benjamin Franklin was the same way. But we did have founding fathers that were, um, uh, were very devout in, in their Christian faith. One of the great experiences I got to have in, in my life was when Ginger and I were on our honeymoon, we went to Charleston and got to sit in the pew where George Washington prayed uh, when he was going around the nation um, trying to to build up support for this great nation and the Episcopal Church there in town. So spiritual freedom, spiritual liberty, it is ingrained in us even by leaders who were agnostic and deist because those leaders thought it was so important that Americans have freedom to worship how they see fit. To experience spiritual freedom, which then leads us to who we are as Christians. What does that mean as, for us as Christians? That we have this great nation to experience our religion in, our faith, but ultimately what does our faith mean and say about freedom?
You see, spiritual freedom is not freedom of religion. Because there are some religions that don't offer spiritual freedom. I don't see spiritual freedom in many of the world's great religions. Spiritual freedom comes from a direct personal relationship with Christ. John 8.26 says, If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So when we look at freedom in Christ, that has uh, several different layers. It gives us freedom from sin, freedom from the wages of death. Not that we don't sin or stop sinning the rest of our life, but we have the freedom to choose to avoid it. We can look at it and say, no, that is wrong. What is crazy in our society today is that we are trying to legislate where in where in our belief system as Christians, we say we want freedom from sin. Right now, we seem to have a whole lot of legislation trying to make it freedom to sin. You understand what I'm saying? Where any intoxicant is available, any lewd act is available because it's free. And anybody can fall in those traps even some of the most devout people I know I have been ensnared when I thought I had understood freedom from sin when I didn't have my act quite together it means freedom from spiritual oppression that your spirit feels free released think about the woman at the well in John chapter 4 when Christ encountered her, and she said, how did you know so much about me? <coughs> and he, he, he proclaimed, well, you know, I'm living water. Drink of this. And he tells her to go back and, and tell her, um, her township what it meant to encounter him, what it meant to drink from that well. And the people were amazed at her freedom, not just from sin, but from the oppression that she was experiencing. It means freedom from death. Jesus shared our humanity so that we might be free from the fear of death. Psalm 118.5 says, In my anguish I cried to the Lord, and he answered by setting me Ultimately, freedom, spiritual freedom, boils down to one phrase outside of knowing Christ is that God gave us a gift, a gift of free will, freedom to choose. But our freedom of choice must come with being informed by our guidebook, by understanding how Christ wants us to live our life. Because there is no such thing as love without the ability to choose. And our love for God, our love for each other comes in the way that we choose to behave and in our free will and understanding the truth of Christ. John 8, 31 through 32 says, You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. 
I always like to add on it to make you miserable first, but after you get over that, there is a real freedom from that spiritual oppression, from that experience of finding yourselves in an oppressive darkness. Ronald Reagan said, freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and for them to do the same. There's a verse in Judges that echoes that same sentiment. When it says, and then there was a generation that rose up that did not know the Lord. Because they were not taught. They didn't experience the love of God. So it is, it is imperative that we, as a people, not just talk about what it means to be free as Americans and the greatest nation ever to exist on the face of this earth, but also to make sure that people understand freedom in Christ. To make sure people understand freedom in Christ. Because it's not just about freedom. It's about the experience of deliverance into that freedom. Isaiah 19.20, when they cry out to the Lord because of their oppressor, he will send them a savior and a defender, and he will rescue them. Freedom is much sweeter when you understand how you were delivered. In a moment, we're going to sing one of my favorite old Appalachian hymns on Georgia Stone Day. It's really about um, some of the hardships that uh, Appalachian folks grew up with and, and use a metaphor of, of Canaan as the Hebrews were looking forward to that place of freedom from their oppression, going to Canaan. And for so many people, our nation is that. But it is much more than that. It is a place where we can worship and experience freedom in Christ. And the only way you can do that is if you know him personally and you have him in your heart and allow the Holy Spirit to work through you that others might see the love of God the Father. So hear now the word of God from 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Oh, who will come and go with me? I am bound for the promised land, the land of freedom.